Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. This is Murder and 20's second trek across the pond, this time to Austria in Europe. The interesting thing about this episode is that although serial killers often kill close to home and in their comfort zone, this one killed on two continents, separated by 6,000 miles and the North Atlantic Ocean. Born in Austria in 1950, Johann Ontevegger, known as Jack, had a rough childhood as an illegitimate son of a prostitute and a U.S. soldier. His mother abandoned him as an infant, and he was sent to live with his grandfather for seven years, then was shuffled around foster families. He never knew his father, and when his mother later returned, he was raised in a home with alcoholics, criminals, and prostitutes. Is often debated as to whether serial killers are born or made. At a young age, Jack committed burglary, robbery, and assault. And by 16, he was a pimp and had been in and out of jail many times. At age 23, he murdered for the first time. Consumed with rage against his mother, he marched 18-year-old Margaret Shaver into the woods and beat her with a metal bar. His mother's face flushed before his eyes. He wrapped Margaret's bra around her neck and strangled her. Jack was caught and charged with her murder. He would claim that she was a prostitute, but police later said that wasn't true. The public and media were fascinated by the details the brutality of his childhood, and the savageness of his crime. At his trial in 1976, he confessed to killing her and was sentenced to life in prison. Prison seemed to serve him well, at least on the outside, the side that he showed to other people. He used his ample time to deal with the trauma of his past and educated himself. He began to write and became known for his stories, poetry, and plays. While behind bars, he founded a literary magazine and also wrote his autobiography called Purgatory. The words he wrote describing his tormented childhood resonated with the artistic crowd and he won literary awards. The public and the media were again fascinated with Jack the killer had become a model for rehabilitation. Jack was a master of manipulation. His good looks reminiscent of serial killer Ted Bundy, but with the swagger of a rock star. He drew people to him, some who felt sorry for him and felt the need to rescue him. Others thought he was a literary genius. Strangers rallied behind him and petitioned for his early release. The Guardian newspaper in London reported that psychiatrists said 
there was no acute danger of him committing further acts of violence, as he now got rid of his aggression in his writing. And the prison governor said, We will never find a prisoner so well prepared for freedom. In May 1990, Jack's rehabilitation was considered a success, and at 40 years old, he was released from the Stein prison. He was on parole after serving only 14 years of his life sentence. With his release, Jack's fame intensified. Within months, he received numerous lucrative offers and was driving a white Ford Mustang, wearing expensive suits and appearing on TV talk shows. He moved into an apartment in Vienna and hung out at the street cafes looking dapper, dressed in a white suit, white shirt, white pants, and white shoes. His autobiography was a bestseller and he traveled for book signings and readings. Four months after his release, Ladies of the Night began disappearing and turning up murdered. In mid-September, Jack, who was now a journalist, drove a white BMW to Prague in Czechoslovakia. He was writing a report on prostitution. On September 14th, he interviewed some of the local working women. A woman who was interpreting for him that day departed just before midnight, leaving him in Wenceslas Square. Nearby, Blanche Bokova. A saleswoman who occasionally made some extra money as a prostitute spent the night out with friends at a bar and left alone around 11.30 p.m. Shortly after, she was spotted with a man around 40 years old in Wenceslas Square. The next day, her naked body was found, discarded in a shallow brook, partially covered in old leaves. She had been strangled. In October, 39-year-old Brunhild Masser disappeared from Graz. Then, on the evening of December 7th, 31-year-old Heidi Hammerer disappeared. Jack was staying at a nearby hotel. In January 1991, Heidi's body was found, and so was Brunhild. Her body found by tourists. She had been partially buried and left in a shallow stream, just outside of Graz. She had been strangled with her clothing. Three months later, on March 7th, Jack was giving a poetry reading at an art cafe in Kovlach. Later that night, a half hour away in Graz, streetwalker 35-year-old Alfred Strimp disappeared. Over the next two months, four more women disappeared and were found murdered. 23-year-old Sylvia Zeigler, 25-year-old Sabine Motzi, 25-year-old Karen Oroglu-Slaki, and 32-year-old Regina Prem, all strangled to death with their own clothing. The ligatures all had the same knots. Police and Graz knew they were looking for a serial killer, and some were beginning to wonder could the killer be Jack? But they had little evidence. Brunhild and Heidi's bodies were so decomposed by the time they were discovered that there wasn't any forensic evidence 
and there were no witnesses that saw Jack with the victims. However, investigators got a lucky break when they found Jack's BMW. Although it had been found in a scrapyard, forensic technicians scoured the car and found a hair. DNA testing confirmed that hair belonged to Blance. Jack was hired to write freelance articles for several Austrian magazines, and in the summer traveled to Los Angeles, California in the United States. He would be writing articles on prostitution in the city and arrived on June 11th and checked into the Cecil Hotel, a hotel near Skid Row that garnered attention in 2013 when Canadian Elisa Lamb stayed there, then disappeared. Weeks later, her body was found floating in a water tank on the roof. But perhaps its most famous guest was Richard Ramirez, known as the Night Stalker. He terrorized the city for a year in the mid-1980s and was eventually caught and convicted of 13 murders. Now, was Jack staying at the Cecil Hotel a coincidence? Likely not. During his five-week stay in Los Angeles, Jack interviewed prostitutes around the hotel for his research and even managed to get a ride-along in a police patrol car. And again, women began disappearing. Only nine days after he landed in sunny California, the body of 35-year-old Shannon Exley was found on a brush-covered hillside on the shoulder of the Pomona Freeway. Shannon was known to work her route around the hotel where Jack was staying. Ten days later, the body of 33-year-old Irene Rodriguez was found sprawled on the pavement. Twenty days later, 26-year-old Peggy Jean Booth's body was found in rugged brush in the remote hills of Malibu. Peggy Jean also went by the name Sherry Ann Long. All three women were strangled with their own clothing, a method police found unusual, even for a big city like Los Angeles. On July 16th, Jack returned to Austria and wrote two articles based on his research in Los Angeles. This caught Interpol's attention. Jack was under suspicion for the murders in Europe, and police questioned him. He claimed he was innocent, and he reacted by taunting police. He contacted the media to say that he was being harassed and that he was the victim. He even told the journalist that he would commit suicide rather than go back to prison. The media seemed to be split. Some felt the police were unfairly targeting him and that he might be innocent. Others speculated that in their headlines that the unknown killer could be a known murderer. Police now publicly identified Jack as a suspect in the five murders in Graz in Vienna. On January 17, 1992, Jack voluntarily traveled to Graz and was questioned by police for hours. However, prosecutors in Vienna were hesitant to issue a warrant for his arrest, perhaps because it would be embarrassing for the officials that had championed his rehabilitation as a success and encouraged his early release. 
A month later, the Gras police finally obtained a warrant for his arrest and raided his apartment in Vienna. But Jack was gone. He had slipped through their fingers. He and his young 18-year-old girlfriend Bianca had fled and were on the run. They traveled to Gassau, Switzerland, then to Paris, France. While on the run, Jack used his powers of persuasion and manipulation and contacted the media on numerous occasions. He claimed he was innocent, that he had changed, and that there was no way he would commit a crime and go back to prison. Then Bianca, who was a fan of John Johnson and the TV show Miami Vice, suggested they fly halfway around the world to Florida. Two weeks later, after police in Vienna missed him, they landed in Miami. Looking slightly out of place in the hot sun, she in a leather jacket and him carrying a fur coat. Meanwhile, Interpol was tracing Jack's movements through his credit card receipts and tracked him to Miami. The Sacramento Bee reported that the couple hid out in Miami for a week. Then, Jack accepted an exclusive interview with an Austrian publisher. He would receive $9,000 after the interview, but first he was wired $180 as a down payment. On February 27th, when Jack and Bianca arrived at the bank, U.S. Marshals were waiting for them. Jack fled, and the Marshals chased him through the streets and back alleys. When they finally cornered him, he easily gave up and surrendered. He was arrested on the Austrian warrant and taken to Miami's Metropolitan Correctional Center. He had been paroled from prison for less than two years. Bianca was not charged and flew back to Austria. Meanwhile, Interpol had contacted detectives in Los Angeles. When his apartment in Vienna had been raided, police found a menu from a restaurant on the Pacific Coast Highway in Los Angeles, not far from where Peggy Jean's body had been found. The Los Angeles Times reported that the inquiry landed on the desk of Detective Fred Miller. He then contacted Deputy Ron Lancaster at the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. They discussed the three cases that had occurred in their jurisdictions and that their murders were so similar that they thought the same person had killed all three women. Jack was held in Florida pending the investigation by the Los Angeles Police Department and a homicide investigator from Los Angeles flew to Miami to interview him. Bodily fluids had been found on one of the victims and were sent to a lab for testing. But would the test come back in time? Police in Miami could only hold Jack for 90 days. On May 27th, a federal judge in Miami ruled that too much time had passed and since no charges were filed against him in Los Angeles, he was free to return to Austria. Police in Los Angeles were disappointed. They knew that Austria did not extradite its citizens to countries to face prosecution where there is a death penalty. And California was a death penalty state. Jack would never be returned to Los Angeles to face murder charges. On August 30, 1993, Jack was indicted for the murders of 11 women, eight in Europe, 
and three in the United States. In a twist, Austria's judicial system allows its citizens to be charged for crimes committed in other countries. When Jack's trial began eight months later in Graz, he was 44 years old. His new autobiography titled Dangerous Criminal was set to be released during his trial. Over the next two months, 160 witnesses were expected to take the stand, including forensic and DNA experts. The Guardian newspaper reported that a psychiatrist testified that he spent two days interviewing Jack and described him as profoundly sadistic. Jack, on the other hand, told the court that yes, he was a rat and a criminal and that he consumed women rather than loved them, but that he was innocent. Much of the prosecution's case was circumstantial, except for two key pieces of evidence. The first was found on the clothing of one of the victims, 142 threads, threads that matched a red scarf owned by Jack. The second was that hair found in Jack's crushed BMW that matched Blant's. On June 29th, as final arguments were about to be presented, a bomb rocked the courthouse. The building was damaged, but no one was hurt, and the final arguments continued. Jack begged the jury to spare him a life behind bars, but this time he wasn't able to persuade or manipulate the people who would decide his fate. The jury found Jack guilty of nine murders, and acquitted him on the two whose remains were too decomposed. He was sentenced to life in prison. Jack was taken to his cell. In the early morning, between the 40 minutes between guard checks, Jack got out of bed, removed the cord from his jogging pants, wrapped it around his neck with a signature knot, and hung himself. True to his word, he committed suicide rather than return to prison. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Catherine Carroll. Brian watched his best friend Greg go to jail for murdering his mother. A murder he committed. He stayed silent for 11 years, and it was only after DNA freed Greg that a police sting finally put him behind bars. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, We'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.